You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church, please visit harvestbrampton.ca. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you by your Spirit. We come to you in the name of your Son. And as we just heard sung over us, we pray that you would lead us. I pray that we would go where you want us to go. Thank you that you love us too much to let us stay where we are. Thank you that you are always calling us higher and that you're always calling us deeper. Thank you that the power of the gospel transforms everything in our lives. And God, I pray that as we turn our attention to the subject of family, God, I pray that you would uh, break down walls that have been built up, Lord. I pray that you would address uh, excuses or rationalizations for disobedience. I, I pray that uh, your word would lead us and, and speak to us, Lord. I pray that you would say what you want to say, and I pray, God, that we would obey, that we would respond in faith to what you are calling us to do, whether it be as children or as parents or as brothers or as sisters, Lord. And so, God, we pray that you would lead us now for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Our ushers are coming up and down the aisle with copies of God's Word right now. For those who uh, don't own a copy of the Bible, this is our gift to you. Just raise up your hand or holler. And uh, if you uh, didn't bring a Bible with you today, um, you can just uh, borrow this one. We want to make sure everyone has a chance uh, to follow along. We've been in this series called This Changes Everything and it addresses the fact that when Jesus died on the cross, when he was buried and when he rose again, he didn't just do that to change where we go when we die. That was that's an absolutely very significant and important change that took place, but the resurrection of Jesus Christ changes everything. It changes the way that we think about our very lives. It changes the way we think about ourselves. It changes the way we think about our relationships, about our money. And today we're going to look at how it changes the way that we look at our family. A lot could be said about the state of the family uh, today. Uh, if you uh, got your census uh, form that you need to, to fill out by law for the Canadian government, every year the census comes out, there's more options to check off for your family members and how you relate to them. There's a lot that could be said about the changes that are happening in family, in our society. But I, I today want to have us focus on what we bring to the table in our own family. We could say a lot about, about things that are happening in our society and how that's affecting families, but I want to say, what about us? What, what decisions do we make? What selfish attitudes do we have? What preconceived notions do we bring to our family situations that are harmful to those that we are called upon to love? Families that aren't focused on faith and aren't focused on Christ will be focused on something. Uh, many families today are struggling because there is such a focus on success, a success of the parents. The parents are so focused on climbing the corporate ladder that they really never stop working. Even when they're at home, they're still on their smartphone, on their laptop, always continually working, so focused on success. But success is not simply a problem for the parents. Sometimes the parents can put such an emphasis on the, ch on the child's success 
and uh, extra tutoring and driving off to a hockey practice and to, and to a music practice and all of the emphasis on academics and athletics and the arts and trying to create the most successful young individual as possible. A lot of these things can take away from what a family is really supposed to be about. For others of us, rather than in a Rather than focusing on a family and belonging to a family, it's the belongings possessed by the family. It's not the home and the stability of the home, but the size of the house. And so material possessions and what a family can get and acquire for themselves can become the focus of a family and become very, very detrimental Some families, and this applies to immediate families and extended families, some families can arrange themselves in such complicated ways of doing things and interacting with one another, all for the goal of avoiding conflict. And you, you, you don't raise a certain subject with certain people. At certain family dinners, you make sure that this person is seated as far away as possible from that person. And everything, everyone is tiptoeing away all for the purpose of creating some sort of superficial veneer of peacefulness in order to avoid conflict. But our aim today is to take a close look at God's word, to take a close look at who God is and what he calls us to and how an understanding of Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection changes our family. And we're going to look at the family today through the lens of the Trinity. Some of the family, the, the Trinity, I thought the Trinity was just some dusty old theological term that, you know, is in our statement of faith but really has no practical application. The Trinity, when properly understood, is so practical and helps us understand so much about what it means to live as a human being for God's glory. You see, God has eternally existed in the context of relationship. There is one God, and yet that one God exists as three persons. And those three persons are equal. Jesus is God, the Father is God, the Holy Spirit is God, and yet, although they are equal, they are not identical. Jesus is not the Spirit, the Spirit is not the Father, the Father is not Jesus. And the relationship that has gone on from all of eternity helps us understand how we are to relate to one another as a family. Even within the language, within the titles, within the Trinity, you have the Father and the Son. There is is family imagery even at the very foundation of who God is. And so we're going to begin with the Father. And I want you to make note of this, that the Father establishes every earthly family. The Father establishes every earthly family. If you are in a family here today, if you are a single young adult and you're relating to your siblings and your parents, or if you're a a father or a mother, or if you are a teenager here today, the family that you find yourself in was established by God. We're going to look at a number of verses in your Bibles, but I want to start with a couple of verses on the screen. Here's Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. Paul says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. God 
has named every family. I'm part of the, the Duncan family over here is the, the Mellow family, the Shipley family, the Unruh family. Every family that is here has been named by God. A naming shows sovereignty and headship over. When God created Adam, he brought every animal to him and Adam named every single animal. Long nose, aardvark. Long trunk, elephant. Long neck, giraffe. He named every single animal showing the authority and the sovereignty that human beings were to have over all of the animals. To name something. To be able to say, this is what your name is, shows control, that God establishes every family. So you need to understand this. When you think about your family, whether you think it's totally blessed or totally messed, your family has been established by God. The parents that you have, the children that you have, the siblings that you have, the struggles, the difficulty, the conflict, Whatever is happening in your family right now has been established by God the Father. Not only that, is that he has a plan not just to establish families, but his plan is to bless families. God told uh, Abram in Genesis chapter 12, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God didn't just establish families, he desires to bless families. And he put in motion in Genesis chapter 12, a rescue plan, a plan of blessing to have the blessing of God flow into every single family. It's God's desire to bless each earthly family. Abram was a man who would become a father. He would have a family. But if you follow the story of Abraham and Sarah and their relationship, things were not easy for them as a family. They fought a lot. They disagreed a lot. They struggled with infertility. They even engaged in spouse-sponsored adultery with Hagar, which led to the birth of, the birth of Ishmael. They had major miscommunication problems. They, they disagreed on how to parent the blended family that, that their sin led them into. And yet this was the family that God chose to be a blessing. And it doesn't get any better. Their son Isaac eventually married Rebekah. They both had, uh, they had sons, Jacob and Esau. That family wrestled with favoritism, deception, betrayal, revenge, all of these things all happening in the family. Years going by without the brothers seeing one another or talking to one another. And yet this was the family that God chose to use to bless all the families of the earth. Jacob eventually uh, grows up. His family was a nightmare, polygamy, more favoritism, hatred and deception and betrayal, selling one of, the old, the, selling one of his sons into slavery. That's what, his, that's what his brothers did. And then as the story of the Old Testament unfolds, it gets zeroes in on David's family. David, the poet, the giant slayer, the king of Israel. I mean, surely this is a family man. This is going to be a, this is, this is the family that will bless the whole world. But David's family, more polygamy, incest, murder. Again, people not talking together for years. 
And yet this is the family that God was going to use to bless every family. You might think that your family's messed up. You know what? You're just like everybody else. And you might think that God can't bless your family or God certainly couldn't use your family to bless another family. Well, that's not true. God from, from day one has used messed up families to bless and to be a blessing. And that's just simply his purpose and his plan that he has established every earthly family. And his goal and his aim in having, having Abraham's line and then David's line all setting the stage for God the Father to send God the Son and for this purpose that we would be adopted into his spiritual family. So the Father establishes every earthly family and the Father adopts us into his spiritual family. This is his goal, that the fellowship, the love, the unity within the Trinity, that that would overflow, that we would have the opportunity to be adopted into the family of God, to relate to God the Father. Ephesians chapter one, verses three to five says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ. Remember, God's goal, Genesis 12, was to bless every family. He has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. God had a plan from eternity past. He, he, he predestined us for adoption before Adam and Eve were ever made. Before Cain and Abel were ever born, God had a plan for an adopted family. God had a plan in which we would be made his sons and his daughters. This is how God the Father wants to relate to us. And that's why he sent his son so now let's talk about the son, Jesus Christ, the one who changes everything. Here's the first thing we need to understand about Jesus Christ. He came to establish this spiritual family. He came to bring us close to the Father. But we need to understand how Jesus' ministry began, how Jesus' time on earth began. It started this way, that the son lived as a member of an earthly family. The son lived as a member of an earthly family. If you uh, have your Bible with you, open it up to Luke chapter 2 and find verse 49. Luke chapter 2, verse 49. You see, Jesus could have come and saved the world in, in, in any way that he wanted to. He could have shown up just as some sort of temporary avatar and just shown up as a grown human being. And he could have just, he could have just died on the cross and and then was buried and then raised again. He could have just come and went. It could have happened over a matter of days, but God chose to allow his son to be born into a family, to be raised by parents. Now, uh, Luke chapter two is uh, definitely one of those stories. I bet Mary and Joseph were up there in heaven being like, did that really need to end up in the Bible? And because it's kind of embarrassing. It, it, it's a story where Mary and Joseph actually, they're on a trip and they leave Jesus behind and they don't clue into it until several days. And uh, I can kind of identify with that. I gotta, I'm not gonna lie to you. Sometimes I'm like, you know, making the on-ramp in the highway and I sort of look back in the rear view mirror and I'm like, one, two, three, four. Yeah, they're all here because it's just that crazy sometimes. And 
And this is when they finally find Jesus, verse 49, and he said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Again, Jesus knows. He knows who he is. He knows he's the son of God. He knows his spiritual, eternal family. Didn't you know that I should be in my father's house? Verse 50. And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth, and notice this, and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. Jesus was submissive to his earthly parents. I want to speak today to the teenagers who are here. Are there any teenagers here? Raise your hand. Are your teenagers all too cool? You won't raise the hand for the guy at the front. I'm not doing that. Listen, I... I know that you think your parents don't know anything. And I know that you think you know everything. And the reason why I know that you think that is because it hasn't been that long since I was a teenager. The first service laughed out loud when I said that. (laughs) But I know it's true. Part of you growing up is you wrestling with this idea of not relating to your, you're you're becoming your own person. But you think you know everything and you think that your, your parents don't know anything at all. And they can't help you with your life or with the struggles you're having with your friends or with school or, or whatever. You feel like they're just so out of touch. I just want to tell you, teenagers, that's going to last for like five, maybe seven years. You're going to get to your early 20s. Your parents are going to become your heroes when you start to learn real life and what it means to really be out on your own. And you're going to, under, you're going to make some of the mistakes that they've been warning you to not make. So you're in this season. Parents, you need to understand that you're just going through this season right now. You're not cool at all to them, but that will change. You will be their hero again. But teenagers, even if it was true, Even if you did know everything and your parents did know nothing, you would still need to submit to them and obey them. Jesus Christ was the creator of the universe being raised by two normal everyday human beings and yet he was able to submit to them. He was sinless, they were sinful. And yet he respected them, he honored them, he submitted to them, he obeyed them. And this is is the example, This this is what Jesus has laid out for us. He is our high priest who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses, who was tempted in every way and yet without sin. If you're struggling with a rebellious attitude towards your parents, you need to understand that Jesus understands that. And if he did it being perfect, being raised by imperfect parents, you need to be willing to do it if you have imperfect parents. And I hope you understand that you're imperfect too. And that's an incredible truth from God's word that Jesus humbled himself in that way. Continuing on in the the book of Luke, look at Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8 and find verse 19. Luke 8 and verse 19. The context here is that Jesus is doing some teaching. There's a huge crowd around him. And his 
mother and brother show up. Luke chapter 8, 19. Then his mother and brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. Verse 21. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Here's the next thing we need to know about Jesus. Not only that he lived as a member of an earthly family, but that he came to establish a new spiritual family. That the son established a new spiritual family. His earthly family's on the outskirts of the crowd. And Jesus says, let me tell you about family. I'm here to establish a new family. I'll tell you who my mother and my brothers are. Those who do, who hear the word of God and do it. And he, he established this new community, this new family, people who hear God's word and do it. And if you're here at Harvest Bible Chapel and you are committed to the word of God and you are saved by God's grace, then you are part of a new family, that we are brothers and sisters with one another. Take a look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. The Apostle Paul says, I... I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how you ought to behave in the household of God. This is the family of God. This is what Jesus established, what he alluded to in Luke chapter 8. There's going to be a new family, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. And then Paul goes on in chapter 5 of 1 Timothy to explain how should we behave in the household of God. Well, he gives the instructions. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Young men are supposed to treat older men like fathers. Younger men are supposed to treat other younger men as brothers. Older women as mothers. Younger women as sisters in all purity. This is the new spiritual family that was established by Jesus Christ. Jesus said, my mother and my brothers are the one who hear the word of God and do it. And we as people who have heard the word of God and are living by faith in Jesus Christ, our aim is to relate to one another as family. And Jesus gets even more descriptive in what this new family means, this new spiritual family in Luke chapter 14. You can turn to Luke chapter 14. It's a very misunderstood passage. Luke 14 and verse 26 and this is a passage several months ago. I, I preached on this passage at length, but it's important for us to be reminded of what this verse says. Jesus says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Jesus here is showing the, the priority, the supremacy of this new spiritual family. That we need to love God the Father. That we need to love his son with a love that is so strong, it's like we hate our earthly family. Now Jesus is not commanding here that we need to passionately despise the members of our earthly family. That couldn't be further from the truth. This is a figure of speech. This is a way that people talked in first century Palestine. That it was a language of choice that when you choose something, all of the other things, as it's as though you hate them. And it doesn't mean that you actively despise them. That's not what he's getting at here. 
Otherwise, all of the commands about husbands loving their wives and, and all of these other commands in Scripture wouldn't make any sense. Jesus saying, love your neighbor. Well, he, he said he was supposed to hate everyone else except him. And so it's, it's a decision that needs to be made that we are to love God first. And when I preached on this several uh, months ago, I showed this diagram that we often think we only have so much love to give. And so we sure we need to give some love to God and prioritize a relationship with him. But, but if I love God with everything I have, what about my family? I, I should give some love to my family and some love to God. But what Jesus is saying here is no. Love God first. Love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you think, well, aren't I ripping my family off? They, they need me. They need affection from me. They need leadership from me. They need me to love them, to care for them. But here's what happens. When you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you receive supernatural ability to love. So that when God loves you, that love actually flows through you right into your family. The best way to love your family is to love God first. The most loving thing you can do for your spouse is to make them number two in your life. The best thing you can do for your children is to let them know that they are not the most important thing in your life. Because when you choose to love God first, you will love your family with a love that is more pure, that is more powerful than you could ever muster on your own efforts. And that leads us into the next section here that as Jesus established this new spiritual family, it's important to recognize that he upheld the importance of our earthly families. We don't want to take Luke chapter 8 and Luke chapter 14 where Jesus is saying, hey, I'll tell you who my mothers and brothers are. Or, hey, you need to hate your father and mother if you're going to follow me. We need to read that in the context of how Jesus lived his life and the other things that he taught in the Gospels. Let me give you a one example. Look at Luke chapter 8 again. Luke chapter 8, right after he established that new spiritual family. Find Luke chapter 8 and verse 19. This is a story of a man named Jairus whose daughter was very, very sick. Jairus came running to Jesus for her to be healed. They were delayed on the way. And they get news while they're going to Jairus' house that his daughter had in fact died. But Jesus was going to raise her from the dead. And take a look at what Jesus does in Luke 8, 51. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. Now, Jesus, Jesus could have pulled rank here. Jesus could have said, yeah, 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 I know that you guys love your little daughter, but I love them with a love that's more pure. I love them more than you could ever love your daughter. And that would be true. And Jesus could have said, you're not allowed in here. This is just something between her and me because her relationship with me is the most important. But Jesus includes lovingly, tenderly recognizing the significance, the bond in that relationship between father, mother, and child, he brings them in to share in that powerful moment. Look with me at John chapter 19. John chapter 19, the context here is that Jesus is dying on the cross and we're gonna see how Jesus upheld the importance of our earthly families. 
This is a portion of scripture that we don't hear a lot being taught about on Good Friday or on, uh, or on Easter. It's, it's something that we often don't really know what to do with, but this is such a powerful expression of Jesus' affirmation and upholding up of earthly family relationships. In John chapter 19 and verse 26, it says, When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. When Jesus is having this conversation with his mother and with John, Jesus is hanging on the cross. Would you think that Jesus would have a lot on his mind at this point? The, the physical exhaustion and anguish of crucifixion is ongoing. At this very moment, he is performing substitutionary atonement. He is acting as a propitiation. He is bearing the wrath of God for all human sin. Would you say Jesus had a, a, quite a lot going on? And yet, at this moment, he makes sure that his mother is looked after. He turns to his mother and says, this is now your son. He turns to John and says, this is now your mother. And they understood what Jesus was talking about. Because at the end of verse 27, it says, and from that hour, the disciple took her to his own house. Apparently Jude and James, Jesus' other uh, brothers, other siblings, Jesus didn't think they had what it took to be able to look after his mother. And Jesus, as the eldest son, made the decision, my, my mother needs to be looked after in old age. He made those arrangements even in the busyness of what was happening that weekend. And God forgive us if we use the busyness or the stress of our lives to neglect the God-given responsibility that we have to look after our aging parents. Jesus sets an example here of how important our earthly family. Don't use ministry as an excuse. Oh, I'm just so busy doing things with God. Don't use your, your children or your family. Oh, I'm just so focused. I, I, can't, I can't honor my parents. I can't provide for them. Some of the harshest things that ever came from the mouth of Jesus Christ are found in Mark chapter 7, where he was ranting on the Pharisees for how they had used a loophole in making a donation to the Lord that made people exempt from having to look after their aging parents. This is, a, this is not just a cultural thing. I know many of us woven into our culture, there's a, a responsibility to care for parents and, and in our Western society, in our present day culture, that is, that is not the norm anymore. Listen, this is not a cultural thing. This is a biblical thing. This is a gospel thing that we are to look after our aging parents. So Jesus went to great lengths to uphold the importance of our earthly families. This is something that the apostles picked up on in the letters in the New Testament. Take a look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 4 and 5. This is a qualification for what it means to be an elder and looking for godly men to lead the church. This is one of the main things that they were supposed to look for. He must manage his own household well. 
with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? The church is the household of God, but if you are not caring for your own earthly household, that disqualifies you from leadership of God's spiritual household. That's true for elders. It's also true for every believer. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8 says, If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. This is serious stuff. This changes everything. The, the way that the Jewish religious leaders were teaching people was that you're kind of off the hook as long as you promise to make a big donation to God. As long as you, you can make excuses for why you don't need to look after your family or look after your parents. But Jesus emphatically and repeatedly states and the apostles along with them that we need to be grateful to be part of a spiritual family, but not ever at the expense of our earthly family. And so the bar that's set in the New Testament is really high. That we need to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, but then also love our family and care for our parents and look after our kids and make sure that we're in a good relationship with our siblings and all that. How are we ever going to live like this? How is it ever possible for us to behave in this way? That's why he sent us the Holy Spirit. That's why we have been given the gift of the Spirit. So the Father is the one who establishes every family and adopts us into his spiritual family. The Son lived as a member of an earthly family and established a new spiritual family and upheld the importance of our earthly families. But now the Holy Spirit is the one who strengthens us to relate rightly to our earthly family. The Holy Spirit is the one who strengthens us to relate rightly to our earthly family family. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians and chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. We've been looking at a lot of verses, just kind of uh, just sort of zooming in and zooming out. We're really going to uh, spend some time here in Ephesians chapter 5 and Ephesians uh, chapter 6, looking at what it means for the Spirit to strengthen us to relate rightly to our earthly family. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18 says, do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with with the Spirit. If that's sounding familiar to you, it's familiar because that's what we, we learned last week, that the instructions for husbands and wives are rooted in this initial command to be filled with the Spirit. And then after the Apostle Paul talks about Spirit-filled marriage, then he talks about the Spirit-filled family in chapter 6. That when you are filled with the Spirit, he begins by talking to children who are believers in Jesus Christ. Children who are filled with the Spirit. They are told, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. The word for children there is technia. It's referring to a child who's still under the authority and the leadership of their parents. And what... What we are called upon to do, if you are a child who is living under your parents' roof, you need to live according to your parents' rules. It's obedience. And notice how it's obedience in the Lord. Jesus didn't obey Mary and Joseph because Mary and Joseph were perfect and were always right. No, he obeyed his earthly father and mother because he knew he had a heavenly father in the same way 
children. Your motivation for obedience can't be your own parents. Your motivation has to be that you obey in the Lord. When we talk about obedience in our house, Lindsay has this little rhyme to our boys that you need to obey right away, all the way. And if one of our four boys does not respond right away, they've disobeyed. And if one of them doesn't obey all the way, if they only put away some of the toys and not all of the toys that they were asked to put away, then they disobeyed. It has to be right away and it has to be all the way. Obedience needs to involve no delays, no excuses, and no attitude. Yeah, teenagers, I'm talking to you again. No attitude. If you are able by the Holy Spirit working inside of you to have the self-control, to restrain attitude, your parents will feel better. I'm telling you, you will feel better. To obey and recognize that these are my parents and I am under their authority while I am under their roof. It is all to be in the Lord, this obedience. And some of you are here today and you're part of our youth group or, or a friend has brought you here and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, but your parents aren't. And you're probably wondering, well, what if my parents, you know, uh, command me to, to do something that, is in dis, that, it, that is, disagrees with what God's word says? Well, you need to pay attention to what Acts chapter 5 verse 29 says. It says, Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. But I also want to strongly advise you that you should probably talk to someone if you're up against one of those struggles. If you think that your parents are commanding you to do something that goes against God's word, you need to make sure that you're rightly interpreting God's word and that you handle that situation properly. So you should probably talk to a friend or another Christian adult who would be able to steer you in the right direction. Because here's the important thing, even if push comes to shove and you need to disobey your earthly parents, in order to obey your heavenly Father, you always need to obey what's commanded in verse 2. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you in the land, and that, sorry, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. He's quoting the Ten Commandments here. And he's He's using the Ten Commandments, the principle of honoring father and mother and viewing it through the lens of the gospel and Jesus Christ and how this has been, how this changes everything. Honoring your father and mother following the Ten Commandments is not what gets you into heaven. But honoring your father and mother is true and good and it's part of God's eternal law and it, it is a command to be obeyed today. And there is a difference between effort and earning. You can make an effort to honor your father and mother by the grace of God filled with the Spirit. That doesn't mean that you're earning your salvation by following the Ten Commandments. There's a huge difference between those, between those two things. So the Apostle Paul, speaking to people who are filled with the Spirit, then gives an Old Testament command and says, here's the principle to always honor your father and mother. Now, this idea of obeying your parents in all situations, that's temporary. 
The principle of honoring your parents, that goes on no matter how old you are. Once you're not under your parents' roof, you're no longer under your parents' rules. And you need to understand that too, teenagers. Like it's only a matter of years before you are out on your own. You can make the decisions you want to make. You can eat what you want to eat. You can have Oreos for dinner. (laughs) Go ahead. That's only like four years away for some of you. We'll see how you like that. It's only a matter of time. But once you get out from under their roof, the responsibility to honor your parents never goes away. This again, we need to be really careful. There's so many different cultures here in this room. And there can be a real blurring of what is biblical and what is cultural. Some cultures teach that a son or a daughter needs to obey their parents until their parents die. That their parents are always in charge of them. That is cultural. That is not biblical. And we need to understand that. One of the reasons why there's so much strife and struggling in marriage is not recognizing what Genesis 2 says. Therefore, the man shall leave his father and mother and become one with his wife. There is a new family unit that is established. And your wife and your family becomes the priority, not your parents. That is biblical. That is not cultural. And we need to understand the difference there. And some of us are so woven into culture, we either go on continuing to obey our parents or we lie to our parents to make them think we're still obeying them. But biblical adulthood is Honoring your parents always and lying to them about who you're dating or who you're engaged to or what you, what you're, that is completely dishonoring. There's nothing more dishonoring to a relationship than deception. And so you need to break those, those, those cultural kind of bonds and, and freely speak the truth in a way that is honoring And some of you are saying, listen, you don't know my parents, you don't know my situation, that is absolutely impossible. It's possible because you're filled with the Spirit. It is possible to always honor your parents, although you're not called upon to always obey them. Because the Spirit strengthens us to relate rightly in our earthly family. The command that's quoted in verse two says that that you may live long uh, in the land. That was a specific uh, promise made to the people of Israel. They were about to go into the promised land, but the land that the apostle Paul was was writing was some prison somewhere. He was writing to people who are in the city of Ephesus. We're reading it now in the city of Brampton. So it's it's not a promise that we would live long in the land of Canaan, but the principle is that when you handle family relationships with what, family relationships well, things tend to go well. Parents of children who, are st- who still have living parents right now, you need to understand that your children are watching you. And if you talk bad about your parents behind your parents' back, don't be surprised if that ends up happening to you when your children are adults. 
And when, if you push your parents off to the side and don't look after them and care for them, you can expect that your, your children, even just accidentally and intuitively, will do the same to you. But if you proactively honor your parents and look after them and care for them, you can expect your children to do that as well. And then in verse 4, it says, Fathers, a command to fathers. We've learned how to, how to be a child, how to be a, a young child under your parents' roof, how to be an adult child and relate properly to your adult parents. Well, what are parents supposed to do? How are they supposed to relate to their children? It begins with the word fathers. I don't want you to be discouraged by the word fathers. Some of the most greatly used people in the history of Christianity have been people who were raised without fathers or raised with non-Christian fathers. One of them was Timothy. Be encouraged by these words from the Apostle Paul to Timothy. He says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. Timothy was so greatly used by the Lord. Timothy was the pastor of the church at Ephesus that this letter is written to. So greatly used. Timothy's mother taught Timothy the Bible, taught him what it means to fear the Lord. His father didn't do that. Timothy's grandmother is the one who taught Timothy's mother. You might be here today and you're a single mother and you, you, you hear fathers and you, you, you think about just this massive gap missing from your family and you think that the odds are stacked up against you. Again, you need to understand that you are filled with the Spirit, just like Lois and Eunice, and that you can raise a, a little Timothy, and you, you can raise a child who will love and serve God. But it says here, fathers, and we can include mothers here as well, it says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. So the kids are supposed to obey, but fathers... And mothers have this responsibility that when we give commands, when we give instructions, we need to give it in a certain way not to provoke them. Or the NIV says, don't exasperate them. What exasperates children? Inconsistency exasperates children. Sarcasm exasperates children. Criticism exasperates children. Unreasonable demands exasperates children. Unclear expectations exasperates children. I remember it just happened about a month ago. Our uh, second son, Jethro, he's in senior kindergarten, so he's been going to school for some time now. And um, we were just coming across the front of the school, and, and he's kind of walking slowly, you know how kids do, and I'm trying to get the kids dropped off and then head into the office, and I'm literally dragging him along, and he's just saying, Daddy, Daddy, and he asked me a question. He says, Daddy, what does late mean? And he's, he's in senior kindergarten, and so all through junior kindergarten, and all through the months that he's been in senior card, I'm telling you every single weekday, Jethro heard me say, come on, we're gonna be late. And he never knew what it meant. He, he just assumed that when he shows up, that's when everything starts. And so I had to, some of you are still like that. 
So I had to clarify, I had to explain to him, this is what being late, this is what it means when daddy's late for work. This is what it means when you're late for school. Your teachers are ready. They've got a lesson prepared. They, they want everyone there at the same time. But the unclear expect, thankfully he wasn't exasperated, but that's just a small example about how we think we're laying things out. And our kids just don't understand what they're talking about. Now, kids, you can also pretend like you don't understand. So be careful about that as well. So do not provoke your children. And then it says, but bring them up. Bring them up. If you look back at chapter 5, verse 29, when it's talking about husbands, love your wife as your own body, nourish and cherish, that's the same word as nourish. Nourish your children. Make sure that they are having a healthy diet, not just physically, but spiritually and socially and relationally. That they are being nourished in your home. That you have a nurturing environment for them to grow and to thrive. Bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord uh, this is not a sermon on discipline. There's lots that could be said about discipline. There's lots of great books that would teach on that. But I just want to say this a few things here. Discipline is not simply punishment, but the creation of boundaries. It's not just react, reacting to disobedience, but promoting obedience. Making sure those expectations are clear and that our children understand and some of us experienced a lot of bad, unhealthy discipline growing up. Listen, the response to bad discipline isn't no discipline. It's proper discipline. Discipline is proof of love. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 and 6, the author of Hebrews says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. A failure to discipline your child is a failure to love your child. God loves us and disciplines us. Discipline is kind of the negative, don't do this. And then it says the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. We are told to instruct them in the ways of the Lord. Again, we look at Timothy's family as an example. He, had, he didn't have a, a, a father who loved the Lord who would be able to teach him. But looks, look at what's said about Timothy and his upbringing. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. Who did he learn it? from his mother and his grandmother and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. From childhood, Timothy was familiar with the word of God and we as parents need to make sure our children are hearing the word of God on a, on a regular basis. Teach the Bible to your kids. Show them how it Make sense in everyday life. On our website, there's a section, a resources section with parent resources, which has books for you to read about raising children and also books that you can use, children's Bibles and that sort of thing that you can be uh, reading and teaching. 
And all of this, this is the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. It's not discipline and instruction of mom and dad. We don't discipline and teach to make our lives easier. We discipline and teach in order to point our children to Jesus Christ. Just as 2 Timothy said, the scriptures that make us wise to salvation, wise to faith in Christ, always pointing them to the gospel. It's amazing how the Lord is at the center of this passage in Ephesians 6. Children are to obey in the Lord. Parents are to give the instruction of the Lord. In the Lord, of the Lord. It's all about the Lord. The Lord needs to be the focus of our family. And it's the spirit that enables us to make it that focus. And here's the last thing the spirit does. The spirit secures us as members of our spiritual family. He secures us as members of our spiritual family. The book of Ephesians says that the Spirit is our seal and the guarantee of our inheritance. We have an inheritance because we have been, we have been written into the will. We have been adopted as sons and daughters. He secures us as members of our spiritual family. And then lastly, look at this verse in Ephesians chapter 2 and we close with this. I'll invite the worship team to come forward now. It says, and he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, that's Jesus, through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Do you see the Trinity there? Through him, that's Jesus, access in one spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, to the Father. God desires for us to be in relationship with him. Every member of the Trinity is involved in allowing that to happen. And the back and forth exchange between spiritual family and earthly family. Our earthly family helps us understand our spiritual family. Our spiritual family gives us the power and the strength to live in obedience in our earthly family. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. There's no orphans in the kingdom of God. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Let's pray to our Father now. Dear God, we thank you for the privilege of being able to call you Father. And God, we thank you that just as you looked at your son Jesus Christ when he came to this earth after having been born into a human family and being sent to establish a new spiritual family, you looked down on your son at his baptism and said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And God, we thank you that as you sent your son, you also sent your spirit to seal our inheritance, to be our guarantee and to cause our spirits to cry out to you, Abba, Father. And Lord, whether we're struggling to relate to our earthly parents or our, our siblings or, or our own children, God, I pray that the truth of the gospel, the truth that we are accepted and loved, that you are pleased with us in Christ, Lord, we pray that your spirit would give us the strength to love, Lord, even when we feel like we're not being loved in return. And so, God, I thank you so much that the gospel changes everything, that it changes our family. So Lord, we pray that you would help us to walk in obedience by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church or to contact us, please visit harvestbrampton.ca.